So, back during our Alien Covenant episode, you opened the show with a pretty uh, declarative statement. Ridley Scott, retire, bitch. Hello. Is this Clarice? Ah, hello, Clarice. I've been in a state of hibernation. I need some action, Clarice. I need to come out of retirement and return to public life. I couldn't help noticing on the FBI's rather dull public website that I have been elevated to the more prestigious 10 most wanted list. Is this coincidence, or are you back on the case? If so, goody goody. Oh my god, how... Oh my god, this movie, it... It, it shouldn't have been made, I think? <laughs> Um, I think it was a goof by, uh... Thomas Harris. Thomas Harris. Uh, I think, I think he just wrote a book to get money. I think so, too, because after the book, um, was completed, Dino De Laurentiis bought the rights to make the movie for $10 million. Just immediately. Yeah. <laughs> because, okay, so like, for those who don't know, like, Dino De Laurentiis, he produced, uh, Man Manhunter, uh, the adaptation of Red Dragon... Um, which he did not care for. Uh, his quote, Manhunter was not good. It was not Red Dragon. Uh, so we'll, we will see, I guess, the good version <laughs> next time. <laughs> but, uh, so he was not a fan of that, but he did not own the rights to Silence of the Lambs, and he allowed Orion Pictures, the makers of Silence of the Lambs, to use the Hannibal Lecter character for free. Because he technically owned the rights to him. Um, he would regret that decision. Um, so he knew that if there was ever a, a sequel that he would do, he needed to snatch it up immediately. So he got in contact with Thomas Harris. Thomas Harris said, I'll let you know. I'm working on something. And then Thomas Harris says, hey, I got, I got a book. It's called Hannibal. And Dino bought it. $10 million right there. Um. So it's very clear no one read the book before buying these rights. <laughs> uh, considering what happens in the book. And I mean, I, I kind of feel for Thomas Harris a little bit because he basically had a gun to his head for these two movies. Or the the, the next... The next one he definitely books. had a gun at his head. I'm not sure if he did... I think there was a lot of pressure for this one. But I'm not sure there was necessarily as much of a gun... I think he's. I think he honestly. He was a smart enough guy to see the money, the potential, in a follow up immediately after Sounds of the Lambs. Because I mean, you get ten million, that you're set. Yeah. So I, I'd be happy with ten million dollars. Yeah, you're right. Uh, gun, gun to his head is the wrong phrasing here, but definitely relevant for Hannibal Rising, which is its own bag of shit. Yeah. Uh, and uh, do you know the the little history about uh, Jonathan Demme not coming back and Jodie Foster not coming back? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the the obvious thing is that they both did not care for the book Hannibal. Yeah, <laughs> was uh, the was the main reason. Yeah, um, Demme said um, he he disliked the source material. To put it politically, <laughs> he, he yeah. didn't like it. And then Jodie Foster also has a very political answer when she was asked about not reprising her role. As Clary Starling, where she said, well, I was busy with an, uh, scheduling issues for another shoot. But two years before, or like years before that, she was on, I forget what show it was, but uh, she was being interviewed on the talk show and said that she would definitely, definitely be a part of the Silence of the Lambs sequel. Yes. And then the book came out, and then their script started going, and then they both kind of like, oh no, <laughs> whoops. Yeah. Yeah, she. I, I believe she eventually later said that she felt that Hannibal betrayed uh, and trampled all over the character of uh, Clarice Starling. And that Jodie Foster is a very smart woman. Yeah. Um, she's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, she's incredibly correct. Uh, so, but... Uh, Dino De Laurentiis uh, has another side of the story. Oh, I don't know this uh, part. Um, he said, I called the agent of Judy Foster. <laughs> he said to me, uh, I have instruction. She no want to read the script if you no give her more than 20 million and 15% of the gross. I say, give my love to Judy Foster goodbye. 
So he claims she wanted money. Well. Even Which if that she, was, like, officially the case, I mean, she she deserved it. She's the, the star of Silence of the Lambs. She does deserve the money. She does deserve a lot of money. Yeah. But also, let's just think about this for a second. Let's think of this conversation actually happened. You play uh, a very important film character, one that uh, is inspiring to a lot of people, um, some people, some marginalized people in a way. Um, how much money would it take for you to completely sell out that character in a sequel? <laughs> <laughs> a lot it would take a lot it would take more than 10 million dollars i think i think it would take exactly 20 million dollars and 15 percent of the gross <laughs> <laughs> so um i i think maybe she was like i'll do it but they better fucking pay me <laughs> yeah and it's not like she's a struggling actress or anything yeah but um she was smart enough to read between the lines as with uh jonathan dem like we talked about already and uh, Dino's quote about uh, Jonathan Demi not returning. Uh, when the Pope die, we create a new Pope. <laughs> Good luck to Jonathan Demi. Goodbye. <laughs> and so who was the new Pope that Dino De Laurentiis was going to get for the follow-up to uh, a movie that sweep the Oscars and redefine the horror and thriller genre. An old, doddering fool. <laughs> hey, that's my line. <laughs> it is, because I really don't feel that way, except for when I watch stuff like Hannibal. Um, there's a dodderingness to Hannibal, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there are moments, I will say, just to clarify, that I think are very schlocky fun. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's clearly not working for the movie's favor, but I can find little moments of enjoyment where it's just like, they put this on a film screen. This is a sequel to an Academy Award winning picture. And and they just <laughs> made it like this weird fucking classier, schlocky slasher film. And uh, oh my god. <laughs> I guess I'm going to shock you here for a moment. Um... I don't think this is a bad movie. I don't think it's like it's I don't think it's bad. I'm not necessarily sure it's good. <laughs> there were parts of the movie where I was watching it. I'm like, all right, this this is working for this scene. Um, too bad none of these scenes really flow together. <laughs> There's never really a consistent workingness to the movie, especially the beginning of the movie. But uh, there were moments in it where I'm like, all right, yeah, this is fine. <laughs> well, it's very uh, operatic, and well, we, we were texting back and forth when we were trying to schedule this recording. You referenced a certain composer whose work often is not to a film's benefit if he's let off the chain. Uh, yes, Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he his score in this I don't even know you honestly I didn't like I was kind of shocked when I found it was Hans Zimmer because it felt like generic thriller music for most of it and it was often it often detracted from many of the scenes in the movie like they're already overproduced by Sir Ridley <laughs> like every scene is pretty overproduced in this thing but then the score would kind of be like this like there's actually like a scene when uh, when Clarice gets the letter from Hannibal after not hearing from him for a long time. There's literally like a dun dun dun, like, <laughs> and like a slow like zoom in, like it's like every scene is just so big. Like operatic is very. I think it's that's probably the right word. I also think it's just the thing about the book Hannibal compared to the other two is that this is full on gothic horror. Like, the other two kind of had gothic horror elements that were more built around a, a forensic police procedural that grounded the more fantastical elements. More as this one just was like, fuck that grounding. Yeah. <laughs> like, fucking just go crazy. Yeah. And, uh, really and in an odd way, signaling where the series will eventually go. Do you think Brian Fuller is a big fan of this film? Um... I bet you Brian Fuller saw, read the book and was like, this will be fine. 
I'm not necessarily sure because he left in the crazier parts of the play. Yeah, I think he's a smart enough uh, creator to realize he could take what worked and what didn't and what he could make work on his own terms because that guy can produce the shit out of a show. Yeah, seeing what he did with American Gods, with not just having the craziest parts of that book but expanding on them, like, yeah, like, I think... He's he's just he's a very smart showrunner. Um, good thing American Gods got rid of him. <laughs> what the fuck is up with that? Right, we'll save that. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Episode because uh, uh, I, oh. I haven't even seen American Gods yet. Oh, it's so good, and it might only be good for that <laughs> season. Oh, we'll, we'll uh, see. Uh, for but for this, like, yeah, it's so big. <laughs> Everything is like has multiple exclamation points and like sometimes it's funny to see that on twitter where it's clearly like ironic mm-hmm. but here it's just like if you follow my twitter feed you understand funny bigness <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this is this is played completely straight and i think it's a little too straight sometimes well it's so straight with ridiculous material <laughs> yeah and like i really i i really scott talks about like as a symphony and like he fell in love with this this material, but then even he was also kind of like hesitant about certain things, I guess. And it, it is such a weird like experience to come off of. Well, he completely ignores yeah. one storyline and the ending of the book in the film. Um, but I guess we can get to that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like thinking about it, like here's like where the contradictions of this this whole film, the, like the opening, not the opening scene, which is kind of a prologue. Um, but the first scene with uh, Clarice, where uh, Julianne Moore says, I'm Special Agent Starling. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> um, she's doing a voice. Doesn't really work. I could talk a lot about her performance, but she's trying something different. And it's kind of understandable that after 10 years, Clarice would probably change in the FBI She's much colder in this film. Um, and for, so the opening of this movie is basically a scene out of The Wire. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I would never even thought of that, but you're it's right. Like, well, the only reason I thought about that is because I was re-watching The Wire, <laughs> like, <laughs> these past couple of weeks. Well, speaking of The Wire, Frankie Faison gets no credit for being Barney in these films. Yes, okay, I have that in my notes. I wanted to bring <laughs> that up when we started getting into the rest of the characters, but fuck yeah, let's talk about it now. Frankie Faison is such a talented character actor. Yeah. He, he is so good in all of these movies. Just a small little scenes he's in. He's usually in like one or two. But he's, he's that's a quality performer. And he's the well, only consistent through line in the entire series. He's in Manhunter. Yeah, but he's a different character. Different character. And it's like, it's crazy. So. Yeah. The only one he's not in is uh, Hannibal Rising and uh, the Hannibal TV show. Which I honestly... I, I'd be happy to see him in that, too. Yeah, find a way to get him in. <laughs> yeah. He's great, and he was great on The Wire, and he should have had a bigger career. He's just a great actor. Um, I think he's still I mean, working. That, he's still working, but I feel like he's never really been, like, a mainstream guy. You know? Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe everyone knows him, and I'm just the idiot being like, Frankie Faison should be bigger. No, no, he should be bigger. I think he's, for everyone else, like the casual audience, he's probably, like, one of those faces. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, yeah, yeah everyone, you'll know who he is when you see him. Yeah. Um, but he's great. He's in the opening of this movie and he plays a very key role in the film and in the book, honestly. I'm um, familiar with the book. I haven't read like every page or anything. So what, um, what, what does he do in the book? That's different. Well, I mean, in the book, it's the same, it's the same basic setup of him. He's selling merchandise to uh, the character Mason Verger. Is that how you say it? Mason Ver- Verger, Verger, I think Verger. I think either one's fine. I don't, I, I should have probably listened. <laughs> Mason Vergerman, uh, and uh, who is a uh, deformed man. Uh, that's his character. <laughs> no, he's got more of a character than that. <laughs> but uh, he's a collector of Hannibal Lecter's items uh, for reasons that are mysterious. A, c- a collector? And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> And he wants to. Add, he he wants a certain piece for his collection. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, and so yeah, I mean, he's basically he's, he's doing the same thing he does in the movie. He's selling the stuff, and then he meets with Clarice at some point, 
Um, but he's also he's the epilogue of the book. Um, which should I talk about that here, or should we save that? How the book ends? Uh, just talk about it here because we're talking right. about uh, talking about the character. Well, the the big change that is not in this film, that is in the book, that is probably the main reason that uh, basically no one from the original production returned except Frankie. <laughs> um, Hannibal Lecter and Clarice uh, hook up and they, they go off together. Yeah, that I did know, and that is always a, a mind boggler. And I think Barney sees them while he's like on vacation with his girlfriend in Brazil. I think it was Brazil. And he becomes frightened and flees the scene. <laughs> and that's how the book ends. Um, and there's never been a follow-up. <laughs> so... I can't imagine why. Uh, hey, I'd, I'd be interested. That's a hell of an ending. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't, how mean it, he, doesn't mean it works, but it's fucking... And I should point out that how Hannibal wins her over, um, besides the fact that Clarice is very different in the book and she's very angry at the bureaucrat she has to deal with in the novel, uh, he hypnotizes her into thinking the reanimated corpse of her father has come back alive and says he's proud of her. That's I, in the book. I did not know that. Hey. Um, <laughs> I think it's his bones. I'm not sure if it's his body, but... Uh, wow. That would have happened right after uh, the dinner scene. So, wow. just when you think it couldn't get any more ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's not really much to say about uh, Julianne Moore's performance. Like, like she, I don't think she gives a bad performance. Mm-hmm. I just think they seriously missed out on not getting Jodie Foster back. But Jodie Foster, for all the, for all the reasons we we talked about, I mean, it was it's more complicated than just that. Mm-hmm. But uh, that feels like her role. But I know? even think Jodie Foster would have struggled. This is a very different Clarice. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't blame. I don't place the blame on either actor's feet because this is this is mm. rough stuff. Yeah, and to uh, bring it back to that opening, um, like I mentioned, it looks like The Wire. It's an FBI, you know, sting on a drug dealer. Also, a character that feels like they're kind of out of the wire. It's like a woman drug dealer. Um, like you know, kind of like a more like I was, I'm expecting like Prop Joe to show up, <laughs> and. Uh, Except there's a problem with – there's two problems with this opening. Because, <laughs> you know, that would be kind of cool, like The Wire, but it's Hannibal Lecter. That kind of sounds cool, right? It sounds like a weird-ass genre mashup that I'd kind of be into. I don't know if it'd work, but I'd be into it. You could see, like, Omar from The Wire being, like, manipulated by Hannibal into shooting someone. And then Omar is realizing he's been double-crossed. Okay, yeah. No, I'm in. I'm in. It's, see? It's fucking <laughs> great. Well, the problem is, one, uh, we're suddenly hit with, like, this, like, male, you know, what, like, uh, I don't know what the term should be, but sexism, basically. Uh, Men being like, we don't have to follow orders from you, lady. (laughs) Which is like a slap in the face, like, slap of the wet fish after, like, the real, like, the way, like, they conveyed all the, like, the male dominance of the FBI, just through visuals, really, in Silence of the Lambs. Like, there's never really a long scene where she talks about that. <laughs> yeah, it's there in the movie, but they don't tell you it's there. They show you, and then you it's understand It's there, it. and you feel it, and you totally get it. This movie feels the need to say it right off the bat because you don't really feel it <laughs> in any way. <laughs> Unless someone is outright saying it. And then we immediately move into a drug... The drug bus goes bad because a guy won't listen to a woman. <laughs> People are killed, and it turns into basically a shitty action scene. Oh my god, that's what I have, that's the big thing I want to take away from this entire movie, I'm just going to bring it up now, the action choreography is so bad. Yeah. There's a shootout in the, the later half of the movie, and it is just <laughs> awful. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, there's a scene involving a wheelchair that is shot like an action scene, <laughs> it just makes it feel like a comedy. Call down. Call down. Yeah. Um, but that, I mean, that's amazing. I was laughing so hard. Um, if you ever wanted to see a guy get fed, thrown out of a wheelchair and fed to pigs, 
and it's one of the funniest things you've ever seen. Check out Hannibal. <laughs> um, but like, here's the thing: like, this, this is a really jarring change, which honestly would be kind of welcoming in a weird way because I re- we really we talked up how great the change, it, the complete 180, is from Manhunter to Silence of the Lambs. And how like great that was, giving us two completely different feeling movies. But this it's it's a very it's like a jarring change, but not jarring enough to become its own thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I I, like, I get you. It's held back by it's got limitations. It almost goes full gothic horror, which Ridley Scott would be great at in a way, but never it never goes enough. And uh, this this is basically the moment that Clarice gets a lot of attention because she's in the news because she's the one who caught Buffalo Bill and let Hannibal Lecter escape. But hey, <laughs> um, I mean, she's a big part of that. I guess they probably blamed someone else. Uh, but so she's in the news and she gets blamed for this whole event and is basically uh, is she removed from duty immediately or is she uh, is that later? I think that's later. It's like it, okay. it's almost like underhandedly happening. Like it's, it's not a, it's not a big moment mm-hmm. as big as it should be anyways. They put her in a they they make her look over the Hannibal files again. Um which is a big part of this movie. We're also so we're introduced also to some new characters. I guess this would be a good time to talk about them. You got uh, Ray Liotta as Paul Krendler. The uh, sexist, creepy sex pervert, FBI agent. Uh, Ray Liotta is famous from Goodfellas. And hundreds of straight-to-DVD action films. Yep. Not Not a dig. He's also great in the movie Killing Them Softly, which is a very underrated film that you should all go watch. Uh, he's 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 sexually attracted to Clarice, who makes it very clear she thinks he's a repugnant man, <laughs> so he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, also, we should point out that his character is in Silence of the Lambs. Paul Krendler? Yes. Is he? Because I don't remember now. He's supposed to be the guy that's with the senator when she meets Hannibal Lecter. Oh. She's she's the, he's kind of the guy like overseeing that thing. Oh, okay. But um, now they just replace him with Ray Liotta. Yes, we replace him with Ray Liotta. I think the actor actually died. So. Oh, now I feel bad. Um, but uh, they were gonna, it wasn't like they would have kept him. <laughs> um, so, also, should I, I should point out that it was weird watching the FBI scenes because we get to see the FBI Most Wanted list and Osama Bin Laden's on it. This was February 2001 when this was released. Wow. Yeah. That really dates it. Yep. <laughs> it, well, it's weird because you would watch him and be like, oh, yeah, he would be number one. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, oh. Because <laughs> uh, we like to pretend that he attacked us out of nowhere and that we uh, didn't drop the ball in trying to get him. <laughs> Much like they dropped the ball in trying to get Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Are you trying uh, to make this series politically relevant? I'm trying to make every episode politically relevant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I've almost gotten on like seven rants about the Cold War and the nuclear <laughs> arms race. <laughs> um, we also have Dr. Cordell Domling. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I just call him Cordell. And uh, he's played by Zelsko Ivanik. And I just love saying his name. He's a great character actor. Yeah, he's great. Seen him and shit. Um, this is a character who will return a very different version of the character, though. Oh, yeah. And this, he is the very reluctant doctor to Mason Verger, the uh, the uh, wheelchair-bound, horribly disfigured pederast who is the main villain of this film. <laughs> you would think the villain of a film called Hannibal would be Hannibal Lecter. You would, but I mean, he's he's. I guess he could be billed as the main villain, but no, he's the main. He's very clearly placed in the position of villain. He he's like a Bond villain, but I, he's taking out like 
before the third act, like, really kicks in the high gear, even. Yeah. Well, that's because they just didn't know how to fucking end this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, clearly. I mean. But he's the villain, and he's very clearly introduced to all- give Hannibal Lecter. This is, in- this is, I would say this is true of the book, too. He's very clearly introduced to give Hannibal kind of more of a moral compass than he had in the previous works. Because uh, we find out Mason Verger is this is disfigured because he was a patient of uh, Dr. Hannibal Lecter's. And Lecter, uh, I can't tell you exactly what happened, but basically he confessed to the fact that he, he uses his family's vast fortune to rape children. Uh, and I believe in the book he is like still running orphanages and shit. Like it's very heavily implied in the book he's still doing it. Uh, I I think that is is too much. Yes, <laughs> it's way too much. You know, like I get it. This is like a really harsh franchise of movies and books, but there's like lines you shouldn't like. Cross. The TV show almost goes there. I think they play that as scarily as they need to, without mm. getting into any anything that is that feels overly gross and cheap. Because honestly, I, th- I think this stuff is just cheap shock value because they don't well, explore it at all they really don't and it's like like i said it's very clearly put in the place so we can have a guy who's like hey hannibal's a bad guy but he's not this fucking ch- child rapist yeah. you know that, <laughs> like, that reminds me of like mark millar where he'll toss in like all of his like oh yeah violence, and then he'll put like rape in all of his books he's like well you know it's just like someone getting murdered and it's like no it's uh it it, it is it's a complicated subject matter that idiots like to put in their work to try and be like edgy and profound well i mean on on, for one to just have someone murder someone to show that they're bad is also really lame yes yes but this is taking it to like a very very real place um where i think even as a country we've barely tapped talking about sexual abuse i think the tide is finally turning but it's still you know uh it's a long way from, you know, truly dealing with it. Um, Hannibal's way of dealing with, with it was to pump this uh, pederast full of drugs and making him cut off his own face and feed it to dogs. Which, I mean, I admire that tenacity. There's, yeah, there's something to that. <laughs> um, kind of puts Hannibal Lecter in a bit of a kookier place than he was in the other works, but hey. <laughs> Um, so there's, uh, there's that, uh, and, uh, Mason Verger is played uncredited, I believe, at least in the opening credits. They maybe credited him later, uh, by, uh, Gary Oldman. Yes. And to his credit, I think he's very good in this in terms of giving like a totally like weird, bold performance, you know, as a completely repugnant character, (laughs) he's great. Yeah, like, there's nothing really to him in this movie. Mm. Like, all the stuff we talked about, it's talked about, but it's not explored. It's just brought up, and it's like, oh, that's his character. Yep. And then he, he like, he Gary Oldman's it all over the fucking place. There's more, I think there's more to it in the uh, book, um, because in the book, we meet his sister, um, who is a, a butch lesbian character, who wants, uh, who wants his semen. So she can have a surrogate child with her uh, significant other, um, and I believe she, uh, in the book, she shoves electric eels down his throat and a cattle prod up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> you ever, you ever worry about Thomas Harris? Um, <laughs> after that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the first two books are hardly like subtle. Well, no, the books, stuff. the books really go into more of, like, the sexual deviancy of these killers, um, which is a big part of, I mean, it's just, that's just a really big part of serial killers. <laughs> that's why you can never really make a movie about serial killers. Like, they've always tried uh, with people like, you know, um, fucking John Wayne Gacy, but they, because you can never really have the parts where he's, like, masturbating as he's murdering people. <laughs> Oh, there's an image for you, you, you people. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, like, this is a part of the serial killer thing, and Thomas Harris goes into great detail, but that one thing I just 
talked about is not related. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just there. something really fucked up that happens. <laughs> Um, I think it's because they need to get him to, you know, give up the semen, so I think those shocks might do it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's accurate. Fucking, um, why not? He, Hannibal made him feed his face to dogs, so fucking, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> this character is completely removed from the film, and that does not happen in it. Yeah, he just gets fed to pigs. Yep. And I should say, sometimes the makeup on Mason Verger looks great. Like, it's just, like, it's one of the best makeup jobs ever, but then other times it looks like a Muppet. I think towards like, the end it really loses something. I don't know why. Maybe I the think, lighting? Uh, I think it's maybe the scene where his assistant is wheeling him down a bridge as he's oh. like... Call down? Call down! Call down! Cardell, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> gets thrown, just thrown out of it. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, like his introduction shot, like when he, uh, Clarice is talking to him while he's sitting in bed, and the um, that's very gothic horror uh, to bring that up again, because like everything around him is like shadows, and then on his face is like this one light that just kind of well, like, like shines on him. And it's like I it's, mean, it's hokey, but I kind of love it. Think if, like, Crimson Peak era Del Toro did this movie. Oh. Like, going up to Mason Verger's mansion, like, that would have been, like, a whole thing. And how this information would have been handed out to us would have been very different. Because also, that's not the first time we see him. We see him when he's talking to Barney. Oh, my God, you're right. Which I, is a scene you really don't need. Yeah, that's why I fucking forgot to bring it up right now. And it's a scene where he, we find out he buys the iconic mask from um from the first film which is like a fucking jj abrams call out <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but it's in a film involving cannibalism and pedophilia that's finn fucking pulling out the uh the training ball from the millennium falcon yeah what the fuck was that doing there anyway <laughs> uh but like i said the information would have probably been dealt out better under a better filmmaker instead this movie uh resorts to really cheap flashbacks which just look terrible, in my opinion. The uh, it's like Tony Scott really experimented with like this weird vignette style uh, storytelling and like this hyper kinetic editing, and it's very clear that Ridley Scott might have been trying to tamper with something similar here. Yeah, he shouldn't have. He should no, he shouldn't have. <laughs> um, he he will try multiple times throughout his career to do that yeah and i and I, I don't think he she should i i love it, ridley scott that is not him. it all comes together with the counselor <laughs> oh the counselor is is a masterpiece counselor see but here's the thing think about the one scene in the counselor that everyone remembers who sees that movie and think about the cattle prod scene not being in this film <laughs> <laughs> he could have done it yeah Where, where's your guts ridley Coward. Anyway, the flashbacks also show the scene where Hannibal bites that woman's face off. Remember how scary it is that we don't see that picture in Silence of the Lambs? We only, like, get, like, the description of it. Yep. Um, but no, we see it here. And it adds nothing to the terror. Well, here, I don't want to spend too much time breaking down the plot, because we could just talk about how well, no, none this of it makes sense in context. But I'm, I'm leading into something. Okay. Trust me. Trust okay. me. Because uh, I, I have very strong feelings about how they shoot certain scenes in this movie and how I'm just, I, I can't wrap my head around it. Well, in the scene when he's ripping off the face, when he's biting the woman's face off, they play animal sounds. It's like he's a predator. It's like he's a carnivore. Did you get that? <laughs> oh, my God. Um... But uh, we also get, oh, the worst thing about this movie, I think, at least one of them. So it turns out Clarice was uh, recording all the, her conversations with Hannibal. Um, which she might have said in Silence of the Lambs, but I don't know. I mean, she's carrying a bag a lot of the time. But uh, 
we get really awkward transition. We get really awkward uh, reenactments of the scenes from Silence of the Lambs that then segue into scenes that didn't happen. <laughs> That's really distracting. And this is what like the film is like front loaded with. And that's what it like really hurts the film. I think the like first 30 minutes of it are really off. And honestly, I kind of like the fact that we don't see Hannibal for the first 30 minutes. Um, but this is completely undercut by those flashbacks where we do see Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, like that would be a really great technique just withhold the monster because Hannibal Lecter is a monster. Yeah. You know? Don't show the fucking shark. Yeah. They did Jaws 2. They, they did all the Jaws sequels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? No, this has better... This has really good production design. No matter the quality of the actual, like, overall movie, Ridley Scott movies always have a great production design. Oh, yeah. They're... I mean, I'm, we're comparing them to those movies, but no. <laughs> they're not. They're not the Jaws sequels. It's not on their level. <laughs> um, but, uh, although I'm, I would probably maybe rather watch Jaws 2 than this again. But uh, when we do see, we finally do meet Hannibal in uh, Italy. That's where he is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, because he's hanging out with Italians. Um, with their fucked up police force. Yeah, it the... Uh... Uh, Giancarlo Giannini as Chief Inspector Rinaldo Passi. He's also Pazzi. really great Pazzi. in this. Yeah. Um, and he's really great. And honestly, you know what? The, this, I think the saving grace of this film for me is that Anthony Hopkins is still really good as Hannibal Lecter. I'm going to say something. Mm-hmm. And people are not going to like me after this. Mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter in this movie is is basically a cartoon and honestly i i would say he's even pretty bad at times no i really like him in this he gets I, bad I like, in- I like him but i don't think he's giving a very good performance and i don't think that's on him i think that's a tonal inconsistency of the movie i do think there is a big he's not the same hannibal no no he's it's a cartoon a very, by this i don't want to make that claim <laughs> but it's vi- but you know what he could be i mean this is a this is a Hannibal who is free to do whatever he wants. Maybe he'd be different. I just think you, Anthony Hopkins is clearly enjoying playing this character again, and I think that just that uh, you know you get that from the film. Yeah. Um, the cut ahead, the scene when he throws the inspector out the window has my favorite Hannibal Lecter line of all time. <laughs> right before he does it, he goes, "Okie dokie, here we go." <laughs> <laughs> So, if you if you love Hannibal Lecter saying "Okie dokie, here we go," <laughs> this is like, the movie for you. You will like this film. Uh, uh, he, he does have some some nice Hannibal lines because Hannibal Lecter has a very peculiar sense of humor about him. Not just because he's murdering people while he's saying jokes sometimes, but like it it he's he's got a very dry sense of humor that I really appreciate. He's got a very dry sense of humor, and he's also... I mean, but the big thing... I think the thing that I definitely don't like about Hannibal in this is that it's made like... It's it's kind of presented like, oh, he, he got free, and he only kills people that get in his way. <laughs> Whereas, fuck no, the moment he got out, he'd be fucking killing and eating as many people as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just what you do if you're Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Like, you know, like, this just came into my head. Like, imagine the reintroduction to Hannibal Lecter is, like, they're they're following, like, a trail of bodies throughout Europe. And they're like, mm-hmm. hey, this is pretty similar to how Hannibal used to eat people. You guys think he's over there now? Mm-hmm. Yada, yada. And then you have, like, a... Because Ridley Scott loves his, his uh, classy trash, I guess I'll call mm-hmm. it. So you have, him like, a montage, like, Ridley Scott's trying to play with here. Like, set to, oh, like, yeah, the we'll awful- meet again or something like that. The awful horror montages. Yeah, yeah. But you have that, it with, like, multiple body counts now. And yeah. uh, set to, like, We'll Meet Again by the Ink Spots. Um, yeah. <laughs> just fucking just fucking go crazy. Just make it I, insane. I guess. But, I mean, to me, the thing is, the two things are, one, I think, isn't, like, a big part of Hannibal, they couldn't really catch him because there weren't any bodies because he was eating them. Oh, Yeah. Wasn't that a big part? And, I mean, Will Graham was the only one who could catch Hannibal. 
but I think a better way, which is something we actually kind of see in the series, would be if you like open it where like if you introduce him and maybe he has like like a female assistant or a friend, you think they have like good like like they're they're friends or something. <laughs> And we kind of get like the same feelings we maybe got with him and Clarice. And then, you know, just he just kills this person because <laughs> that's what Hannibal Lecter would do. <laughs> um, but th- no, this movie very much makes him like, oh, he's actually kind of an Avenger. <laughs> I think uh, Anthony Hopkins in an interview even described him as a Robin Hood type figure. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, speaking well, of Anthony Hopkins uh, on Silence of the Lambs and... Red Dragon and Hannibal, of course. Mm. Uh, during an interview with The Wrap, I think back in like 2016, this might have been a little older even, mm. uh, he said, I did it once, made the mistake of doing it twice, three times. The Silence of the Lambs is okay. It was a good film. And then when asked if he ever wanted to betray <laughs> him again, uh, Hannibal, uh, Anthony Hopkins said, no, I don't want to do that. I'm done with that. <laughs> and then well. that was it. Hey, he seemed to have fun with this one. I've read a lot of positive interviews for, like, the time when they were making it. He also, he, although he gave one interview, he said, I'm glad they changed the ending. And then he gave another interview, he said, I was the only one who liked the ending of the book. Oh. <laughs> so I don't fucking know, but, hey, that's Anthony Hopkins. Well, I mean, I could imagine, I'm talking shit, but, like, if I was making this movie and I was really Scott, I probably would have had the time of my life, too. Get to go mm-hmm. to, to Florence, Italy, shoot, yeah. like, these these big cityscapes. With this gothic horrorness, and then get to play with like endless amounts of practical body parts. Yes, like my my inner movie geek would like be screaming, uh, doing that the the open gutted hangman thing with the inspector. Yes. Like, I don't like the way it's shot, but I don't like the way fuck, it's shot that's, or that's set fun. up. <laughs> that for for like just schlocky horror vibes, that's kind of fun. Yeah, we'll see a better version of it later. Yes, yes, we will. Um, but uh, but I, we should also point out because the series Hannibal takes a lot from this because this is the first time we've really seen a free Hannibal Lecter. He's not free in any of the, the other two films. We only see him behind bars, so there's always that major disconnect. But here we get to see like you know the sophisticated Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, yeah, um, especially in its third season. But yeah, I get what you mean. It, watching Hannibal work in the world around him with no restraints other than like, you know, basic human decency withholding him once in a while. Yes. Um, and then he even breaks free of that. Like when someone ends up on, on his kitchen table. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's really, it's cool to see that inspiration. And this one definitely feels, uh, like a heavy influence with production design. Mm-hmm. But, but I also, but I really do. I just, I know you disagree. And I, I get it, but I do like I do kind of enjoy seeing the free Anthony Hopkins Lecter in the film. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, I think a lot of this movie is definitely interesting, and I think a lot of it could be well, even kind of fun. Well, because I'll tell you, like the moment this movie was like enjoyable to me was all the Italian stuff. Like I really liked the inspector. And him trying to get Lecter, but he's trying to, like, catch him so he can get the reward from Mason Verger. And, uh, Verger, whatever the fuck. Um, and, uh, I liked all that. Like, that was actually, like, very entertaining in a way. Um, there's some parts in it that are fucking ridiculous. Uh, like when he kills a pickpocket, but hey. Um, which reminds me a lot of, uh, the Bolito scene in The Counselor. (laughs) <laughs> which is another one of the most overly produced scenes ever. Oh, but there it's so good. It's like so. They, it's like fucking ridiculous. I know. Like I, wish, play- I wish the Ridley Scott that made the counselor made Hannibal. I want the song that was playing under that scene in that moment. <laughs> Cause it's like someone saying like, I'm gonna fuck yeah or something. Yeah. It's like, it's some weird fucking techno shit. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand the movie, but I love it. I don't, understand any decision in that film but another (laughs) another time where i think a great author maybe have been pranking ridley scott (laughs) well here i want to talk about the scene construction with um the the hangman sequence really quick so when when hannibal has the inspector basically cornered and he's showing him he's pulling a red dragon and showing him these these images on a giant screen yes and um and then he he makes his back turn around and says i'm giving serious thought 
and he pauses for a long time for the trailer shot mm. to eating your wife. And then he smothers his face with chloroform and then the music kicks up. But the way it's shot, it's like wide, wide, close yeah. up, wide, close. Like just hold, just hold. Mm. And then c- close up when he turns around and puts a hand over his face. And it's I, so confusing. Really, Scott has a style. And I just don't get it. <laughs> I think one day maybe, I, it, like someday maybe it'll click for me and I'll get why his stuff isn't like people respond to it. I think it's how like some people can watch like a David Fincher film and be like, I don't get it. Like, or even Michael Mann, like some people, like if you don't really get Michael Mann, you just won't get into his movie. And so I'm giving Ridley the benefit of the doubt, but this is like the showcase of all his worst traits. But I think if you like him, you might like what he's doing with this. I don't know. I really don't understand Ridley Scott. I usually do like him. Like, uh, but even for me, this is, it's a little too out there. It's like peak Ridley Scott on cocaine. Mm. And then Zimmer's score is, is Zimmer's score is what like, is like kind of what sinks this whole boat in my opinion. Like when uh, Lecter catches the inspector and he chloroforms him. The music goes like, it's like, fucking, I got it. Thank you. In my, in my notes, I just have written fucking Hans Zimmer bullshit. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just generic horror movie music. And it's weird because, like, you know, Hans Zimmer's done good work. Like, I know people shit on him because it's fun to shit on talented people, I guess. Because, I mean, he, he's fucking better than 90% of the people out there. But here it's just a bad fit man Ugh. yeah i and you know what i could imagine him doing good work with with a movie like this too but i i don't know i don't, I don't know what the disconnect was maybe it was too big you know this whole movie feels huge every well, think of how good frame. he did with the dark knight i mean i think the dark knight score it's not a score i'd like listen to it doesn't do like what older scores would do where like you kind of want to listen to it apart from the film but that score adds to that film. Yeah, no, his Dark Knight stuff yeah. I love. Basically, whenever he works with Nolan, mm-hmm. like I know people give him a lot of shit for the Inception. But I mean, he invented that. Yeah, you know? I mean, that like, fucking guy. He's a talented guy, dude. He invented 90% of movie trailers <laughs> of the modern era. So Yeah. Uh, and it's, I mean, when the first time that shit happened, you were like, fuck. Fuck me up, Hans Zimmer. Yeah. <laughs> And but, then by the time it rolls around in Man of Steel, it's like, please stop. Like, well, I mean, years. again, I think director might be the key word here. <laughs> uh, but again, like, really, Scott's done good with, like, other, you know, I don't know. Ridley's a weird guy. I don't understand him. M- maybe one day it'll all click, but... Um, I think he's, also- he's secretly very... He's got a mean streak to him that Tony Scott didn't have. Tony Scott made some some harsh movies, but not like Ridley has. Ridley, yeah, he's got a sense. very big mean streak, which might be the thing that I guess off puts me because I don't like that. <laughs> it takes a lot to win me over with a mean streak. There are some movies that are like just absolutely hate fucking an audience that I can get into, <laughs> but I think David Fincher really doesn't care for the audience. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I can, I don't know. Or at least, or at least he's just an enigma to me. Uh, yeah, I should also gone. point out in the Italian scene, um, we, when Clarice, who is in this movie, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, she calls up Italy while the, uh, while an Italian cop is talking to her, he draws a nude picture of her on his notepad, which is as men do. <laughs> That's such a, like, fucking, like, oh, men are sexist. <laughs> like, they do different... They don't do that. <laughs> they do things, but not that. Like, I, I guess this is the, the main difference between this and Silence of the Lambs, because uh, the gender politics mm-hmm. are, are really at the forefront of both these movies. Or rather, they mm-hmm. try to be in Hannibal. Uh, uh, Jonathan Dem understands, as much as he can, uh, the female perspective. Mm-hmm. And... He's very – it's all visual for him. He's, he's, he's clever about it. He's intelligent. Ridley Scott is not intelligent about it. 
it's it's two different philosophies. I think Jonathan Demi understands that a lot of sexism in the world is very subtle and expressed by people who don't even realize they're expressing it. Whereas Ridley Scott thinks that things like sexism and racism are often expressed openly and broadly. Um, I think you can see that in both their works. I, I mean, I think especially Ridley, if you want to talk about some of the race politics of American Gangster. That's, that's where my mind went, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's just how he seems to think. And I mean, he's wrong. <laughs> that's how you end up casting uh, Gods of Egypt the way you do. <laughs> but uh, it's just, it, you get it from this work, and a lot of people think that way. And uh, that's, it's a shame, because I think it's damaging to think it's that broad. Sometimes people really are that fucked up. <laughs> Like, I think Ray Liotta's character could have worked as a dude who really is that fucked up. <laughs> um, who just is constantly trying to, like, sleep with Clary Starling, even though she just fucking tells him to fuck off every scene he's in. And even to the point where he railroads her career, and, like, that's fucked up. Yeah. And maybe the story is trying to be like, who is the true predator? <laughs> A guy who's a very creepy associate to work with, or a cannibal. Then <laughs> <laughs> um, the answer is obviously like, yeah, they're both fucked up. Just yep. <laughs> just put them both. It's in wrong. Prison. It's it's wrong to equate the two. Clary's share career gets railroaded by a fake letter that's not really from Hannibal Lecter. Um, I believe is it from who's it from? Was it from Mason or was it from Ray Liotta? I think it was from uh, Mason Verger. Yeah. Right now I'm fucking it up. Well, she was starting to interfere with the Italian guy. And so she was going to fuck up the whole thing. And then the, the FBI feels like she's getting too close to the case after Hannibal kills the inspector and gets away. Wait, no, no, no. Uh, Lecter sends her a, a letter, though, right? She she gets a real thing from him, and then there's a fake letter. I can't tell you which is which, but hey. Um, and then, uh, you know... Lecter comes back to America, and there's some good. There's actually a good foreshadowing moment, which is honestly weird for this movie, <laughs> where he breaks into her house, and she has a dog that is clearly like a guard dog that barks at him but doesn't really attack him, and then he just sneaks out <laughs> after leaving some things, or does he take some? Ah, whatever. Um, it and then he ends it up, doesn't impact the rest of the movie. Well, he talks to her, and then they end up like. I mean, he's like basically flirting with her. <laughs> And there's a whole scene on a carousel. Uh, it's just ridiculous where she's chasing him. None of this is really that interesting or important. No, it's not. There you go. That that scene, I almost think it's good. I think there's like little individual well, I mean, moments of it that are that feel like a, a really interesting chase sequence. Yeah. Like it's not well, there, like Bourne style or anything, but you know. There's moments to it and it's like because it's back to – because up to this point, all the investigating – uh, Clarice has done have just been these weird, awkward horror montages. And here she's actually trying to do some like problem solving skills. <laughs> and Anthony Hopkins is, is actually really fun as Lecter. Like I, at least like I said, I think he's fun. No, I, like, he's I like, like him in this part. I like him in this part a lot. He's that cannibals, a fun guy. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's just, it's kind of like, it brings back that dynamic that like I enjoyed in the first movie. And you're like, oh, this is nice. You're like, hey. And then uh, it ends really awkwardly because Hannibal's just immediately kidnapped outside by Mason Verger's guys. Yeah, it, the, the pacing is super weird after that. But I like that part because it reminds us of the dynamic from the first or the second movie. Mm -hmm. uh, first, whatever the fuck. The previous movie. Previous, yeah. Yeah, and then um, it ups the ante. It's like, yeah, she could catch him, but then it might lead to both of them getting kidnapped or dying or him dying and she can't get you know back her, why her good graces, you know? That scene is so good. Because that's what the fucking movie should have been. <laughs> like, fuck all this other bullshit. <laughs> With the drug deal and the pedophile and the Ray Liotta. Like, just making a movie about Clarice like she finally figures out a way to catch him. That would have been great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that sequence is... is... It's, the, it's my favorite part of the movie. How about there's a scene in it? How about the opening of the movie? Instead of Clary's fucking up a drug deal, she's finally going to get Lecter. And she ends up getting, like, another agent killed. 
and she's got a guilt complex as a result. That's Fucking, there's a movie that worked. Yeah. Good. You could still have Ray Liotta, just have him be like uh, condescending to her because she fucked up. You know, like yeah. I, I'd be okay with her being fallible. You know? Yeah, I'm fine with that too. I mean, but but this movie also, she's not fallible. Yeah. <laughs> she's ra- she's railroaded by other people, mostly. Like she makes mistakes, but none that aren't like at the like nothing at the core is her fault. Like she's kind of put in a no-win situation a lot of the times by other dudes. And I so, bet yeah. you can even do something interesting with that, like. But the movie doesn't frame it that way. Yeah. So it's 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 a weird viewing experience for me. It's just it's off. <laughs> it's, uh, I would say this movie is borderline awful at times. It's it's. I just think it's got a ridiculousness to it that made it at least pleasant to watch. It's entertaining. I'm never bored watching it. It's just oh. odd. Hmm. Because, I mean, the main plot, I don't think I mentioned what the villain was trying to do, which uh, is he's going to feed Hannibal Lecter to some pigs that he's been training to attack Hannibal Lecter when they hear humans screaming. Was that it? Uh, I didn't totally understand what they were doing with the pigs. Yeah, I think it's supposed to, like, trigger something. And then, like, uh, what's the Pavlov dog thing? Yeah. You know? Well, there is a real way to get pigs to eat human bodies and they will eat everything except the teeth jesus um yeah i mean that's uh, they always talk about like not, like don't get on the bad side of a guy with a pig farm <laughs> like the, i mean the mob i mean they use that a lot that's a it's one of those things where you say if they want you want to make a body disappear feed it to pigs damn uh, so that's a real thing um what might not be a real thing <laughs> is that when hannibal is put in this pig trap thing <laughs> Uh, he, he gets out of it because the, when the pigs run in, they do not smell fear on him, <laughs> which I don't know if that is stated in the movie, but that's how it, ha- that's eat. Cause they kind of just don't react to him. But in the book, it is very clearly that they don't smell fear on him. That's, uh, that's, a, this is the best movie ever now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, Mason Berger is fed to his own pigs. But, uh, yeah, and so you'd think that would be the end of the movie. Also, Clarice is in this movie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big thing about this. She's kind of like Wonder Woman in Batman v Superman. She's not really a part of it. <laughs> Until she gets the crowd-pleasing moment of the movie, and mm. then it ends after five seconds, and they go back to the real movie, and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm watching this. Um, she is, uh, she's... Taken by Lecter, because she's injured, I believe. Yeah, she she saves shot. Lecter. She saves Lecter. Gets uh, shot to, to in the bring process. Yeah. Um, I believe a, uh, a, was it like a Mexican henchman gets eaten by the pigs? I don't remember. Yeah, there, there are two <laughs> henchmen that get eaten by the pigs, and then Lecter's like, oh, you missed one. No, behind me, Clarice. And then mm. she shoots a guy behind a fan. I'm like, I've, oh my god, that action is so bad. <laughs> It's so bad, but I like the idea of, like, Hannibal being like, oh, behind me. Like, they got, like, a dynamic. Yeah, yeah, no, th- see, that stuff is fun, but then, like, the way it's shot I mean, I like, think, like, again, fuck? like, I'm saying, this is what ends up making the show Hannibal fun. This stuff's here, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, but... It's, you know... <laughs> anyway, uh, we then go to a scene that happens after this for some reason um kind of like after the entire fleet gets blown up in the last jedi but there's still that battle and much like luke skywalker coming out to face kylo ren we get ray Liotta being force fed his own brain which is a thing that happens in this movie this is where I 
I both give up and also fully accept the movie. Yeah. Because it's just like, they're so fucking stupid, but I also kind of admire it. It's the dumbest. <laughs> it This movie cost $87 million to make. And uh, it did make its money back, but like this, I, I will say the brain doesn't look terrible. I, I think the I think it looks fine. There's no way to make this scene look good, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like supposed to be like this really intense scene. Like Clarice is like, no, don't do it, Lecter. <laughs> and they they go back to her for the reaction shots whenever they're cutting back between Lecter cutting off the brain, then cooking the brain and feeding him the brain, and mm-hmm. she's like, Ugh, like she's gonna throw up. And it's 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 hilarious. And then they what they don't cut to is me laughing in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> um, does, what does, do, how did does he just die? I don't even know. What, I don't even remember. Oh no, it's amazing. <laughs> he, after he feeds him his his brain, uh, she starts uh, unhandcuffing un- herself or whatever, right? Uh, Lecter's goes back to cooking, and he uh, he tosses a towel over his head. As he like kind of leans, like he he hunches over, like he's dying. I think because the the head bleeds a lot. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, I guess he just bleeds out. But Lecter just tosses a towel over his head, and I love that. That feels like authentic Hannibal Lecter. That does, but it's still fucking funny. <laughs> oh no, it's hilarious. But it's just like, ah, I'll deal with this later. Like, fuck you. Like it's no big deal. That's great. <laughs> like everyone saw that and was like, yep. And the movie wraps up. Uh, Hannibal kisses Clarice forcibly and it's super gross and weird and she handcuffs him because that's mm-hmm. his moment of vulnerability so she could trap him and so I, I kind of like that too because then she realizes like not the kiss I, I think the kiss is is too much also yeah um but her handcuffing him that that feels like a very Clarice Starling thing too like okay he he clearly is into me or, or respects me uh I don't know if he respects her but it's, it's he's complicated he does I think he respects her I would say in a way, he definitely didn't respect Will Graham. <laughs> yeah. And Red, um, Red Dragon and Manhunter. Okay, yeah. I, I could buy that. Well, uh, he can't kill her because then she's dead weight and he can't escape. He, he mm-hmm. uh, Then he doesn't want to cut off her hand because respect. And so he ends up cutting off his own. So I, I, I think that's kind of interesting. It's, yeah. I mean, that seems like something Hannibal would do. Yeah. But, uh... I mean, that could have worked so much better if it had been more focused on her. Like, if, because, you know, maybe she really does have some feelings for Hannibal. I mean, like, that's like I, I say, the thing about real sociopaths and psychopaths is that they kind of can, they, they know how to get people to like them. And there's something charming about the character of Hannibal Lecter that we're all kind of fascinated with. That you're like, you know, if he wasn't a cannibal, he might be all right. <laughs> <laughs> but. If she, if they kind of really played that up, I think maybe you could have gotten a moment where she does kind of want to kiss him, but she knows what he really is, and so that kiss maybe would have landed better. But this movie really doesn't care about her feelings. No, this movie is is far too in love with Hannibal Lecter. I mean, think about it. It's a movie with sexism like so on its sleeve, like like calling it out, but it's also a movie that's completely that only defines her through the men around her. That's just it's that's just awful. <laughs> yeah, there's no other way to put it. It's a it's a fucking mess. But again, I kind of like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I never thought you'd like a Ridley Scott movie more than I do. Uh, yeah, that's it's very strange. <laughs> uh, but and here we are. Call down. Call down. I would still recommend people watch it. I would recommend people watch it. Understand it's it's more just kind of a horror film. <laughs> it's really there's not much to it. And and uh, not a very good horror film. I would recommend reading the book. Even though a lot of people fucking hate it. Um which I get if you do not like anything I described today. <laughs> um don't read it. But if you want a really just ridiculous book, it's Thomas Harris was just, he's a very good writer. Even when it, he's, he's got that Stephen King thing where even if his stuff doesn't totally make sense and it gets kind of exploitative, it's still entertaining. Um, also, and this is, I think it's an important 
part of the series because this really does set up a lot of stuff that will be the basis for the Hannibal TV series. Um, this is a side elector that we never really got to see. And until the series was really the only version of free Lecter. So I think it had, if you want to see, you know, Anthony Hopkins doing some of that, I think it's it's got some value. Uh, that's Hannibal. Ridley Scott's Hannibal. Tottering oh, old fool makes horror film. We didn't even talk about how he thought he was going to make a movie about Hannibal, the historical figure. Yeah, that was when he got the call. He was like, "All right, I'll meet about this." <laughs> well, to, to his credit, he had told Dino De Laurentiis that you know, I'm just ma- I've just made a movie about the Roman Empire. I'm not going to make a movie about them sending elephants over the Alps. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, "No, no, 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 <laughs> Ridley." And he and read then, the book. Yeah, and he said it was the the best page turner since The Godfather. I got it. That's it. That's the, that's the episode. Matt, <laughs> where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com. I'm at D-E-W-G-O Waffles, contributing at Talk Film Society. Other bylines on my Twitter. Like, subscribe. And if you didn't like, like, subscribe anyways, because you might find something you do like. Uh, all other retrospectives on the Waffle Press. Check out the Waffle Press podcast and Patreon so we can get even better sound recording equipment. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. Okie dokie, here we go. I have information about Animal Lecter. <laughs> Fantastic. You're trying to catch him yourself, aren't you? He killed three policemen while in custody. Turn the face off one of them and he will kill you too. Are you by any chance trying to trace my whereabouts? You naughty girl. very serious thought to eating your wife.